This morning, this morning we will be reading from Luke chapter 4, going on in the Gospel of Luke, and we will read verses 1 through 15. Luke 4, 1 through 15. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. Then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said... You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, with that Luke read-through, as you see, we're preaching through the book of Luke. Uh, I forgot to mention that if you come to that, there's an opportunity for all of us to read out loud together there. But I wanted to mention, if you're not comfortable reading out loud, which I know not everybody is, still come and attend. You can, you'll be able to pass, and we're not going to be required to read. But I really want to encourage you, because I think there's going to be some real benefit in going through the entire story together this uh, Saturday. Well, we're continuing this Luke series. Luke accomplished among us, because Luke was recording for this man, Theophilus, who was probably a new convert. What had been accomplished among us? What historical acts and things had Jesus Christ done? And who was he? What did did he accomplish among us? And we're in chapters three and four, where Luke is giving us the qualifications of Jesus to show us that he's qualified to be the Messiah, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, and therefore that would mean all humanity. He's qualified for that. He meets the requirements. Like our youth that are in here right now, our youth that are here that you've probably got midterms coming up. Some of, the, some of you do, I know. Uh, there are, is a standard, a requirement to pass when you take a test, when you take a midterm. There's some kind of standard to pass. This morning we look at Jesus passing the test, passing the midterm, so to speak, passing the temptations that Satan brings to him. We're the first Adam, which is Adam, Jesus is the second Adam, where the first Adam failed his test with the serpent in the garden. Now Jesus passes the test with the same serpent in obedience. And where Israel was led by God to the wilderness to be tested many times too, they failed also. Now Jesus passes the test. He's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, our passage says, where he will pass the test. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the true Israel. You know, every person who has ever lived knows the allure of temptation. And some of us in this room have given in at times to some really big temptations in our life. Many of us, and all of us have given in to some level of temptation from time to time. 
whether it's the child stealing the cookie from the cookie jar, tempted to do that, whether it's the temptation to cheat on your biology test or your algebra test, the temptation of the businessman or woman to kind of fudge their records to make, make himself look better, whether it's the temptation to snap at your spouse or the temptation to look at somebody with lust in your heart, or how about to, the, the temptation to say something funny, to use humor, which a lot of times is at the expense of a person, isn't it? Temptation's real, isn't it? Temptation is hard. Temptation is common to all humanity. And it can be really devastating when it's succumbed to. Really devastating in life. But my hope is this morning that we will find hope and forgiveness and power to fight temptation. The close of chapter 3, there's this genealogy there. It's the genealogy of Jesus And it ends with a declaration about who he is. And it says at the very end of it, you can just look up there at the end of chapter 3. It says, Jesus is the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam and Jesus being the son of God. So it shouldn't be surprised to us today that when we come to this temptation, Satan's goal in the temptation at the beginning of chapter 4, right after that verse, was to get Jesus to doubt his sonship, his role, his place as son. And this is what Satan does, and this is actually how temptation normally works, and we're going to look at it. This is how it normally works. Satan takes good things in our life. He takes good things and he makes, them, makes us tempted, or we are tempted in our own heart even, to make good things into God things, and then to make us doubt the goodness of the true God. That's how temptation works. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to define temptation according to the word, according to what it is, with a few truths, three truths. And then we're going to look at our fourth truth, how to overcome temptation. All right, does that help where we're heading this morning? Three truths to kind of sh- to help us define temptation and get at the inner workings of how it works in our heart. But then the fourth one, how do we overcome it? So hopefully you got your outline there. We'd love to fill those in. If, you like, if you're a learner who likes to write, those, that's four. Uh, we've got growth group questions on the back today for our groups. Uh, and hopefully you got your text too. Let's look at the first truth. Here's our first one. Temptation is like taking the wrong exit ramp off of God's way. I wanted to really make a kind of simple but vivid picture for help us to understand what temptation is. And as we come to Jesus' temptation now, I want us to see right off the bat, before we even talk about the temptation itself, that Jesus was led into this temptation by the Spirit, Luke records. Now, that doesn't mean the Spirit actually himself did any of the testing of Jesus, James says in chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But we have to say, at the very least, the Father wanted Jesus, the Son, to go through this as the Spirit led him into the wilderness, even if he didn't directly cause the temptation. Satan was ready and willing to do that. But, but the Spirit led him out there. And it's important for us to see this. And why Luke records that is to see that Jesus' temptation was not caused by a compromised heart. Jesus' temptation was not caused many times like ours are by our own sinfulness. His were not. It was not within himself either. Luke wants us to see that. Look at verse 1 again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, mentions him twice here, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But then look at the end, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. All through the temptation Luke wants us to see, from beginning to end, when he came back, he was filled with the Spirit and ready for ministry. This story is bookended by the Spirit. God was working through the Son here and leading him. So Satan comes and tempts Jesus with three different temptations you heard Alice read to us today. The temptation to provision. We'll put peas on all these so these remember. Temptation to provision. That's in the bread, right? The temptation to power. 
when the kingdoms come and he shows them the kingdoms of the world. And then the temptation for protection as he says, throw yourself off this building and save yourself. And Satan says, jump, Jesus. And before Jesus were these three tempting choices, as we're calling them to help us understand what it is, these three kind of offshoots or exit ramps off of God's plan. I like how we describe it there. I think it's a helpful way to describe it. When we give in, it's like taking the wrong exit off of the freeway, the highway, or off of God's way. A couple years back, well, actually a few years back, no, a couple, it was, I guess, middle or end of kind of the COVID thing. And I had a friend visiting from California up, up here, and he wanted to go downtown to see a couple things. So we're going to head downtown. Him and his wife were visiting. They're friends of ours, and he wanted to go see some sights. So we were taking I-5 towards Portland. And I remember we were um, following the GPS where we were going to go, and I accidentally got off at the wrong exit. Now, normally, what you would just think, well, We'll hop back on I-5, we'll, we'll be back on our way in no time, and not so much this day. <laughs> we got off the exit, and, and I took the wrong exit off I-5, and we got off the exit, and all of a sudden we started down a city street, and we ended up right in the middle of an uh, Antifa riot. Yeah, they might have called it a protest, but it looked more like a riot to me. Um, it, it was really, really actually terrifying. Uh, and especially for him being out of town and hearing all the stories of Portland and then coming saying, it's exactly like you heard, see? <laughs> Which was not the case. It was just, you know, usually pretty localized. But um, we happened to drive right to the middle of it. There were hundreds of masked people all around our car all of a sudden. We couldn't go anywhere. There were smoke grenades flying over my car. Um, there was SWAT vehicles with policemen hanging off the outside. Sir sirens I'd never heard before. Bill can probably tell me what those are, but I, I had no idea. I had never heard these kind of sirens before. It was not a police car siren. It was terrifying. What we thought was going to be a little detour turned into a nightmare scenario. Temptation. Temptation is like the exit ramp off from the road God has called you to. The picture coming up of some of the a freeway here in town with some exits. You know, you want to be going on I-5, which is right in the middle there, to Seattle. But it's no big deal if I get off at this exit. I'll, I'll just kind of hop back on. There's an exit on the left and there's an exit on the right. So maybe you're thinking, I'll just hop off and get a bite to eat at this exit and I'll find my way back on, onto the, the freeway. And you end up on some other highway or, or some other road or, or, or in the middle of an Antifa riot. Maybe you've experienced this going to a new town. Maybe you've driven down to L.A. or San Francisco, or, and you kind of, whoa, you take the exit, and you're like, how are we going to find our way back? Especially pre-GPS days. Anyone used to drive the Thomas Guide? Was that what it is, the Thomas Guide? Was that the one? Some of you know that, that big book where you're like, go to page 72, and that connects to 58. And like, wait a minute, what? You know, yeah. But we got around with it. But you end up on some other play, uh, road taking that exit ramp of temptation. You look up, and you go, where am I? Where have I ended up? Temptations like that exit ramp, and you take it and say, well, I can always just repent and ask for forgiveness. I'll just repent and find my way back and, and hop right back on God's highway, and then you realize, I'm totally lost. That's the negative definition of temptation. Well, to put it a positive way, to describe maybe self-control, which would be maybe the opposite of giving in, would be self-control would be choosing, um, rather than the exit ramp, choosing the important thing or the holy thing or the thing that matters most over the urgent thing. Jesus now here being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's totally laser-focused with self-control. He's laser-focused on the road that God has laid before him, even though Satan brings up all these exit ramps. He's focused on what matters most. He's intent on being obedient to God. And he uses the scripture to respond to Satan every single time. I'm sure you caught that in there. As he said, it's, it's written. It's written this way, Satan. But how do we give in to temptation? Let's talk a little bit more about that before we specifically look at the three temptations. How do we give in to it? What ends up happening and I think it's helpful to talk about giving in a temptation in two different ways that it takes place in our life. And we've all experienced probably both of these. The first one is, is more obvious. It's actively choosing 
one of the exits. You got one on the right there. You got one over there on the left off to the dowels there. You got two different exits there. It's really obvious. It's more of a direct way of actively choosing temptation. You're tempted by an exit directly, whether it's sex or lust or anger or money or bitterness or laziness. Any of those kind of things can tempt us. And in a moment, you tell yourself, I'm just going to take this quick exit and I'm going to get back on the road after that. Direct temptation. Think of the story of Samson and Delilah in the book of Judges. As they came to Delilah, the lords of the Philistines, they were tempting her, and she was going to tempt him. And here's what they said to her. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. Samson was really strong, given supernatural strength even. And they said to him, see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. It's a story, if you've ever seen it, racked with temptation, full of temptation, as many stories in the Bible are. They were real people, weren't they? Tempted with real things. Remember the book of Genesis? (laughs) Jacob, Joseph, all those guys, how they were tempted, and women too. Well, here, Samson and Delilah are tempted. She's tempted to, with money to, to betray Samson, and, and Samson's tempted by sex and lust to betray God and the mission, the road that he had Samson on, and they both actively choose, directly choose, the exit ramp, the exit road. And it didn't work out. It was disastrous. Samson ends up dying. It never works. That's the more obvious for us. We can usually sense that type of temptation, the direct one that comes and assaults us directly to our senses, our heart, our mind, our bodies, and then we realize when we give into it how it can destroy our life. John Newton said, the heart in wandering cries, ah, here's a way open before, think exit ramp, here's a way that's open before me, Ah, but perhaps not to be trodden, but rejected. It's direct temptation. It opens up, you see it, and you choose to take it. But the second way we give into or fall into temptation is where I want to focus for another minute, because I think it's a a little more uh, duplicitous or a little more uh, tricky or not quite as obvious to us. It's it's more passive. It's not direct temptation. It's kind of passive. Here's another picture coming up of our freeways around here. Let's say you were trying to take your kids to the zoo. I've done that a few times. <laughs> You're trying to take your kids to the zoo, and you need to get on, oh, the 26 West there that goes off that way to kind of the zoo, and you, you're, you're wanting to get on that way, but maybe it was your first time around here or your second time driving that way, and you, 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 you kind of get to that way where the freeway, sometimes the exit ramp gets bigger than the, what you're actually traveling on, or in this case, the, the, the freeway kind of splits into two there. And you could be in the far right lane and not really see the signs coming up. And, and if you just do nothing, if you just stay in those far right lanes, you'll exit and all of a sudden you'll say, oh, well, now I'm on I-5 and I really wanted to be on 26 West. You know, there was no decision made actually and no choice made, but by being passive and doing nothing instead of the zoo, I ended up somewhere else. This is more passive indirect kind of temptation. If the way of loving God, the path he wants us to be on is a, is a way of loving God and neighbors, maybe for passive temptation, maybe some of you have just given up, stopped trying. Didn't even really mean to get off the exit ramp. It's just that the road in front of you ended up being bigger than the one you were supposed to go on and all of a sudden you find yourself not trying anymore. Or passive temptation. You didn't even need to make an active choice. You just had to stay in the direction you were going on. Maybe it's for you, it's you don't trust people anymore. You've kind of given up on trusting people. You've given up on uh, opening up and making new friends, or opening up your home and hospitality, or opening up your life to, with time to disciple someone. Some of us, some of you maybe have given up on God. And passively, you're just not pursuing his, his path anymore. Maybe that's church attendance for you. Maybe it's Bible reading or prayer. Yeah, you're, you're not falling into active, direct temptation, but you've woken up and you just have to ask yourself, where am I? And where are you, God, 
You just kind of passively stayed on the path and you totally lost your path. And that passive temptation is a bit more of just kind of stop trying and we stop pushing and, and you, you passively just ended up on I-5 instead of the zoo. Jesus here, he's led by the Spirit. He's not passively going, he's led. He's not actively choosing temptation, but he's led by the Spirit here at the beginning. And at the end, he was on the road full of self-control, choosing the important, wise thing over the urgent temptations that Satan gave him, that were put in front of him. Those exit roads. That's our first truth. Temptation is a wrong exit that traps you that we can choose actively or sometimes just passively by staying without thinking about where we're headed. Here's our second truth about temptation. Temptation will come to everyone, especially Christians. That's an important truth because sometimes we can make the mistake in thinking about temptation as Christians. Sometimes we think, you know, I've been a Christian so long and I shouldn't still be tempted in these ways. I've been a Christian for decades. I shouldn't have these kind of thoughts, or if I was more faithful, if I was a better Christian, I wouldn't be tempted. I must be doing something really wrong. Life should be better. I should not have this kind of conflict. I've been a Christian for decades. And I just want to say to you, if you're a Christian, it is inevitable that you will be tempted. It's inevitable, especially for Christians. Oh, sometimes we think, if I just had a purer heart, and if I was just full of the Spirit, and if God's Word all the time was filled in me, I, I wouldn't have temptation if my heart was just right. Well, if that's you, you just described Jesus, actually. A perfectly pure heart, totally full of the Holy Spirit and truth, and what do we see in this story? Here he is being tempted. In fact, he's always facing temptation. He's always finding himself in difficult, tempting situations and tests. It's like, it's like he attracted the enemy and temptation more so because he was so bright. Like a moth atta- uh, uh, attracted to a flame. Temptation just found him. Like the moth finds the flame. See, we think sometimes, you know, if I, if I, maybe if I could just get a, away from those type of people, or a lot of people think, well, if I can just get out of this place where it's, you know, this type of way, where it's so tempting, or get away from the city, out into the country. A lot of people think that way. Well, guess what? Jesus went out into the country, the wilderness, God's country, and guess what? Temptation found him. Temptation found him. You can't really get away from it. Well, a couple of reasons why. First, as Christians, we should know that temptation will always find us because wherever I go, I go. (laughs) Have you ever been somewhere where you haven't been? No. (laughs) Wherever you go, you go. And so we carry with us still the battle of sinful nature inside of us. So wherever I go, I go. I'm going to face temptation. You're going to face it. Where we go, it goes. But second, I think our temptation is actually a good sign. I think it's actually a good sign. Because if you're tempted, it points to the fact that a real battle is taking place in your heart. And a real battle means that you're really still fighting against sin. So it actually can be a good sign. And you find yourself without temptation... Maybe you've already passively ended up on I-5 instead of 26 West. Maybe you've already passively given up. If you are full of the Spirit and truth, you will be tempted. I like what Cyrus of Alexandria said. He says, if you're not tempted, you have no hope. If you're not tempted, it's because you're used to sinning. Oh, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And you know that. We know that, don't we? The more you snap at your kids, the more you shame your spouse, the more you look at porn, the more you lie, the more you ignore people, what happens? The easier it gets. Have you passively found yourself on another road? It's inevitable. Temptation's inevitable. 
But here's the great news. Jesus didn't save us in spite of his temptation here. He saved us through it. It actually mattered. He saved us through these difficulties. And actually, it's one of the ways we become like him. Because you too face battles. You too face temptations. We too are tested and tried like he was. And we are actually transformed through trials, through temptations. James went on in that same passage, chapter I read from earlier, chapter 1. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, get put in temptation there. Trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What's he saying there? It's, it can actually be a good thing to go through hard things to face temptations, to face trials, as Jesus did. We know Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. In his humanity, we too grow as we are challenged. It's like working out a muscle at the gym. You work it out and you put it through some stress because it comes back stronger as the body repairs the little tears that happen in muscles, which is why you're sore if you ever do something and overwork. The Lord fills us. He strengthens us. He provides, he shows up when we go through trials. And so many of you have so many stories that you, re, you can recount that. And it's good to share those. It's one of the reasons we do growth groups, sharing those stories. It's a, fact, it's a, it's a sign that God could be at work in your life, temptation. I mean, surely he was at work here, wasn't he, in Jesus' life? Through this episode? And he was tempted more than anyone, Jesus was. It's how you respond to temptation. Do we look to God in our temptation in his way? Do we trust him? How do you respond? I mean, it's a variety of ways, right? You respond all kinds of ways and different ways in temptation. Maybe depending on what you had for dinner. I don't know. <laughs> Is it anger, maybe? Or do you seek to kind of bear down and really get control in your life? Or do you rest in faith? It's our second truth. It's inevitable. It's inevitable Christians will face it. And it actually can be a good sign that the battle is still going on inside of you. Here's our third one. Most temptation comes when good things become God things. And this is super important. It's going to take us into the temptations that Jesus faced. This is really important. Most temptations come when good things in life become ultimate things or God things or too important or maybe sitting on the throne of your heart, however we want to describe that. A lot of different ways we could describe that. Maybe you're here today and you're not actually a Christian. You haven't trusted Christ or you're not sure. And you kind of feel, maybe you're hearing me talk and you're like, well, here we go again, another pastor getting all legalist, legalistic. Resist the temptations of the devil. You can almost hear that in a kind of a voice. Yeah, then you might be thinking, well, Christians are always obsessed with temptations of sex and lust or getting drunk. And, you know, it's like, what? They're just so hung up on these things. This temptation. And maybe you're thinking, what's wrong with a little lust? I mean, that person's beautiful. They have a beautiful figure. Or maybe, you know, a couple drinks, a few drinks at night to help me relax. And on the one hand, you're kind of right. And it is kind of funny in some ways. And there's, you know, stereotypical figures of the, you know, sweating preacher that just, you know, is always railing on, on his people with about temptations. And it's kind of funny because a lot of Christians think actually that is what temptation is too. And sometimes we have been a little goofy and a little bit laughable throughout history. But if you think of Christians in temptation, and if you, when you do think of them, if you're here today maybe thinking, this is, I'm not really sure about Jesus. If you think of Christians in temptation, that it's just these things we've called bad, and we're really trying hard to stop doing them, if that's how you think temptation works, I have to tell you you're wrong. Or at the very least, it's not the only way it works. In fact, it's much sneakier than that. Let's look at the text. We look down here, and you look back at these temptations, the, the bread, the cities, and the power, and safety, 
Satan didn't come to Jesus and tempt him with Delilah. No sex here. No booze here. Satan didn't come. He could have come and said, hey, let's get drunk, Jesus. Let's get drunk. No, he didn't do that. Look at verse 3. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. How could it be a sin to have something to eat? Is it sinful to eat? No. How could it be a sin to have something to eat? He doesn't come at him with like booze and, and breasts, but bread. He doesn't come with him with those shocking things that people say, well, that's temptation. No, no, no. He says, take a bite to eat. It's strange. Look at verse 6. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Okay, well, that one you might say, well, that's power. That's, that can be a bad thing. That's a direct temptation there. But remember, who is he tempting? Son of God. And if anyone should have or be able to have all power and authority be given to him, shouldn't it be Jesus? So while I thought my, that one might be wrong for you and I to grab that power, that's surely not wrong for Jesus to take. He's the son of God. Hmm. Well, third, let's look at the third one. Nine, uh, verse nine, I think it is. Uh, yeah, if you're the son of God, the second half of the verse, throw yourself down from here. That's just protection. Is, is that so wrong to keep yourself protected? So what's going on here? What is, what's happening here? What is, Jesus, what is Satan getting at as he tries to tempt Jesus? They're not even really bad things. The, the temptation for Jesus here is not to eat the bread. The temptation here is to break the fast without God's permission. So eating bread's not wrong. The, the temptation to be safe and, and delivered and, and for Jesus to grasp power, those are not wrong for Jesus. But they are wrong for him to grasp without the way God planned for them to come to Jesus, which was the cross. Satan's asking Jesus to bypass God's way, to bypass God's way of the cross. He's asking, complete your sonship. Be whole without that whole way of pain that, that the Father's laid out for you. He, he's saying, take up your saving place. Take up your Messiahship. Just do it your own way, Jesus. See, Satan, what he does is, and this is what's more duplicitous, you know, secretly destructive about temptation, is that he takes good things in your life, like he's doing with Jesus here even, and he turns those good things into temptations. See why it's a much more nuanced and richer view of temptation than just, you know, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? It's so much, it's so much more complex it's so much more complex. Satan takes good things and turns those into temptations, and that's usually how temptation works. And it's more destructive and, and, and sneaky. We're tempted to make good things into God things. And it's actually good things that usually enslave us in life. How about family? It's a good one to talk about. How about family? Family's good, isn't it? Family is given by God. And yet even family, a very good thing, can become an enslaving temptation. If you find yourself, because of your commitment to your family, insulated from community maybe, or um, church, or insulated from your coworkers and friends, because, well, family. Or a fear of letting people into your family. That's a temptation, and that too even, a good thing, our family, can become sinful. It's called idolizing your family. Or how about placing so much hope on your kids? Oh, so many of us do that as parents. Or grandparents, you place so much hope on your grandkids. We place so much hope on them. Then what do we do? We turn them into little idols. And when you place too much hope on your kids, and you place that weight on them, you know what happens to them? You crush them. They weren't meant to be the most important thing in your life. They just weren't. Very important, yes. And then when, if you do that, whenever they fail, what happens to you? You're a total failure because they failed, or at least you feel like it. How about work? That's another one that we're tempted. 
A lot of us. Remember, good things we make into God things. Work. You're tempted to make work an idol. Or the opposite end, you're tempted to make leisure your idol. If it's work, career's a good thing, isn't it? Many of you are in good careers now. Many of you had decades of great service to community or people and your work life and a career. and It was all good. But if work becomes your God thing, you'll be tempted to sacrifice everything for it. Family, relationships, and rest just for the sake of work. You see, what I'm getting at here is the thing that you love the most, the thing that many times is a good thing that becomes a God thing, the thing you love the most is actually the thing that controls you. Uh, Rebecca Manley Pippert has this great quote. She's been a writer for decades now in the church and a speaker. She said, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. And you could add a thousand other good things in there. She says, we do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. You see, the hardest temptations, they're not usually the obvious ones, are they? They're not just the, you know, like I said, the don't drink and do all those, those things. I mean, those are real temptations, and those things can be harmful in your life too. But they're not the hardest. The hardest ones are usually not the obvious ones. Because you can be lorded over by lots of things and temptations, and usually they're really good things that become God things. Here's what that means. Every single person in the world whether you're a Christian or not, every single person in the world is religious about something. What do I mean by that? Totally committed to it. Sold out to it. Actually, I would even use the word converted. You know, if somebody ever tells you, why do you Christians always try to convert people? You can just say, everybody's been converted to something. Everybody's been converted and is religious about something in their life. Because you get out of bed in the morning. Something gets you out of bed. Everything. Everybody. And if you're here today, as we've already spoken, if you're a non-Christian, you're not a follower of Christ today, and you're here, you have something other than Christ in your life that you seek to get ultimate significance from. We all do that. Because the human heart was wired to worship, so you're going to worship something. It's just a religion of your own making. Pippert means whatever you are living for is your Lord. So what are you tempted by? Maybe you think even... Those are followers of Christ now. What are you tempted by that's even a good thing in your life that Satan's maybe even using? More subtle temptations. You're going to talk about it in your growth groups this week. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? How do we battle and overcome temptation? We talked, we've done three points now to define it. We've kind of looked at Jesus' temptations and how they're more subtle than just really obvious bad things. They can be passive temptations too, active temptations. What do we do about it? How do we overcome temptation? There are two simple words, but it can take a lifetime to learn how to do. Truth and love. Truth and love. We overcome temptation, it's our fourth point, with truth and love. And love. Now, most people, maybe even a lot of commentators or pastors or Christians, we look at this passage and we say the primary lesson here, the primary application is fight temptation with God's word. Fight temptation with God's word. And that's true. That's true, but only partially. That is the first line of temptation. We have to have something bigger than ourselves to grab onto when temptation comes, especially when it comes from the inside out. You've got to have another voice in your life that you can grab onto, you can sink your hook or your teeth into when temptation comes. You have to have that. Who knows temptation best in our world? The advertising agencies, don't they? <laughs> They're that little voice in your mind telling you, And Jesus hears the tempting voice, and oh, how close it sounds to the one in the garden. Take this for yourself. Take it. You deserve it. It can all be yours. Just take it. And where Adam took and ate, Christ destroys the voice of of Satan with arguments. He destroys him with the truth. He quotes Deuteronomy here. He shatters the arguments of Satan with words. So yes, 
We need to be a people of the truth, a people of the word. Partly because Satan himself even knows the word. Did you catch that in there? Jesus replies with the words a couple times. Satan's like, I'm going to try that too. (laughs) And he actually quotes Psalm 91 uh, back to uh, Jesus. And it's really interesting because at a first blush, if you were to read through Psalm 91 this afternoon, you wouldn't look at it and go, that's a messianic psalm, which means about Jesus. You wouldn't really think that. Jesus knows, or excuse me, Satan knows theology. He knows truth. He, he quotes a psalm that you and I wouldn't even probably be able to figure out on our own. He knows it's about the Messiah. And he quotes it back to him. Hey, hey, you know, the angels will keep you from bashing your head on the rocks. They'll save you. We, we don't even catch that. So our enemy knows the word even. We better know it. He tried to use it on Jesus. So it matters. He shatters those arguments of Satan with words. So we have to have our minds and our hearts full of truth. That's why something like our Luke read-through, so important. How often do you sit down and read through a book of the Bible start to finish? Not very often. I know. I know myself. We need to fight temptation by knowing God's word. And what you do is when a voice comes, you put down your foot on the truth. You put it down on the truth. But we can't stop there. As if we could come with the truth and a temptation that comes to us. That's why a temptation like lust. You know, how many guys have just tried, oh, just try a little harder. Bear, pull myself up by my bootstraps a little more. Shout the verses just even louder next time. How many of us have tried that? As if just trying harder or remembering the word or more or yelling a little louder every time I'm tempted as if that would actually work. That's why it fails in your life. How many times has that failed for you? A lot. I know it. I failed a lot. A lot. We can't just stop there with just truth. Not to undermine truth at all. And that's not even actually, I don't think the primary application of this passage. What was being questioned here for Jesus? What was being questioned here? It was actually the loving relationship between father and son. Satan says it a few times. If you're the son of God, if you've got this really intimate, loving, eternal, perfect relationship with the Father, if you're the son of God, it was never really just about the bread. That's why temptation is more destructive. It was never just about the power. It was never just about the protection. It was about his connection with God, his love for God. If you are the son, it was about wanting to please the Father, Because he loved the Father, and this wasn't his time to do those things. You will never resist temptation by just trying to be strong. You won't. You might be able to do it for a little little while. You know, a few days, a week or two, maybe even a couple months if you really got some good willpower going on. But you will never be able to resist temptation just by being strong. You also need his love upon your heart. That's why it's truth and love. That's the bond that kept Jesus faithful. It wasn't just he, that he was an inerrant, believed in the inerrancy of Scripture, knew it was inspired, knew it was eternal truth. Yeah, yeah, he believed all that too. But the bond that kept him faithful... Are you the son of God? If you're the son of God, then do this. Oh, Satan, you have no idea. You have no idea what the father and son have shared forever. As if your petty temptations could get in between the love my father and I have had for eternity. That's what was going on there. The Old Testament word for it is hesed. It's an important word. It's all over the Old Testament. The New Testament, maybe it's the word agape, that type of love. Hesed. It's a steadfast love. A lot of times it's connected to God's um, his covenants with his people in the Bible. Hesed love. Steadfast love. It, it means this. Jesus was absolutely fully glued to the Father in a loving relationship. Like cement glue. Or, you know, you get every kid glue their fingers together with super glue. You're like, that's not coming apart. I'm sorry, you're going to live the rest of your life like this and walk around like this all the time. You know? <laughs> the cement, it's like cement. Stick. Jesus absolutely was glued to the Father in a loving relationship. 
It's like for us, when he talked about overcoming temptation and obedience, bearing good fruit is the biblical language. What did he say? He said, you need hesed. You need that, oh, father, son, father, daughter. You need agape in the New Testament. You need love. Here's what he said in John 15. I'm the vine. Here's connectedness. You are the branches. That's connectedness. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that's connectedness. He, is, he it is that bears much fruit. Overcome temptations, think. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, we've done a great job in more, um, you know, uh, Western evangelical churches. We've done a great job in developing our disciples around truth and our discipleship strategies around truth. And don't get me wrong. Here's a little, a little insert here. Don't get me wrong. Please hear me. Truth absolutely matters. That's why we preach from this every week and why I hold it up and preach from it because without it, what am I going to tell you? I'm just a dude who's here living in Canby like you. I mean, what am I going to tell you apart from this book? <laughs> Honestly, I don't have much to offer you apart from the book. So truth matters, absolutely. Um, but if that's all it is, if we just leave it there, that's not good. We haven't done a good job in the church doing the other half as much. Yes, truth. Our discipleship programs, our discipleship is, is centered on truth. But we've not done such a good job in learning, experiencing, modeling what it means to be glued to Jesus. Vine and branches. Abide in me, I'll abide in you. Do you want to overcome temptation? Do you? I can hear one. One yes, just one? <laughs> yes, you do. I know you do. Do you want to overcome temptation? Yes. yes. Thank you, Bernard. I knew I would get that from you. Do you want to overcome temptation? Then you need to add love to your truth. You've got to add love to your truth. In fact, actually, love always comes first. If you, what? You'll obey my commandments? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Love. There's a quote in a book that I'm reading right now talking about this idea of truth and love. Uh, actually, it's, comes, it's quoted in this book. It comes from a book called uh, Solution of Choice by a guy named Jim, Jim Wilder. He explains it this way. He's talking about hesed, this idea of hesed and love. He says, when hesed replaces truth, now not replaces as you're thinking, hold on, replaces truth as the foundation principle of discipleship, the whole model self-corrects. Placing love at the core of transformation process allows truth and choice and power to play their proper roles and not bear the weight that they were never intended to carry. What's he saying there? Truth alone can't change you. Satan knew a lot of truth, didn't he? He quoted it better than we do. But did he have love? No. Developments in brain science, he goes on even, have made it clear that any model of transformation and character change must be anchored in the development of a love bond with God and his people. Amen. That is why us being here and you being involved in each other's lives is the absolute glue of change and transformation and overcoming temptation that's why DNA groups matter. That's why growth groups matter. That's why coffee time matters. That's why sitting next to somebody that's maybe not even a family member, it matters. It's how we grow. Love. Love. Yeah, sure, you can pull yourself up with a little truth with some good willpower for a while. But are you really going to change for good? You're not. You're not. Truth and love is the way we fight it. To overcome temptation, to be a disciple, to be transformed. Sheer willpower armed with truth will never work. You need to have a heart that's glued to Jesus. Like a son, like a daughter. What does he say? If you are the son of God, so how do you grow in that love? If it matters, we probably should end with that, right? How do you grow in that love? You know, this isn't Jesus here just modeling for us how to overcome temptation. Like Jesus is like his mic drop moment. He's like, boom, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. 
Like with sheer willpower. No, no, this is Jesus saying no to Satan for you. For you. Because guess what? You will never always respond as Jesus does, as if he was just a model for you. No, this is Jesus resisting temptation for you. This is Jesus being the son you couldn't be. This is Jesus being the daughter you couldn't be. And actually never can be this side of heaven. Is it any surprise here the real temptation is this for Jesus? If you are the son of God, so that when you aren't the daughter or you aren't the son you're supposed to be, guess what? He is. He is. It's the gospel. It's Jesus fighting temptation for you is what we see happening here. You know, when you put your foot down on truth, which you should do, you absolutely should put your foot down on truth and obey this truth and you stand up and you resist temptation, what happens? God is there to help you and he's pleased and he loves it. But guess what? When he did it, when Jesus did it, when he put his foot down, when he stood strong, when he obeyed, what happened to him? He fell through the floor. Fell through the floor. Came crashing down. He resisted temptation like no other person perfectly and still lost God at the cross in some way. He didn't cease being his son. He didn't cease being God. But he was treated in that moment like a failed son on the cross so that your failed temptations can be forgiven. And seeing that is how you grow in love. We've got the truth. But seeing that is how you grow in love. And the degree to which your love grows, and I can't stress how important this is. We see that picture again with the roads. The degree, degree to which your love grows, it will partner with the truth. Self-correct that motto, like Jim Wilder said. And you'll see all kinds of exit signs. They're on the right. They're on the left. They're everywhere in your life. But you will stay with truth and love right there on the road. Focused, I know where I'm going. No turning left and right. Let's pray. Father, temptation is real. Ah, it's real. But let us leave with this thought today. Uh, every temptation we felt, the Son of Man has felt. Tempted as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews says. And because of that, we can have all confidence and grow, uh, draw near to him who sympathizes with us in our weakness. And then when we do that, we get to encourage others in their weakness too. That's, 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 that's uh, vine and branches right there. So Lord Jesus, let us connect with you, knowing that you're the great Messiah who faced temptation for us, so that we don't have to use our record of temptation to gain acceptance with you. But oh Lord, because of that acceptance, May our love grow and attach to all the truth we know so dearly so that we can be people that live and stay on your road for the sake of our lives, for the sake of the lost and can be. To your glory we pray in Christ's name, amen.